session. Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. My name is Annette Südbeck and I welcome B. Ingrid Olsen for this secession podcast. Um, I'm very happy, Ingrid, that I was able to curate your show and that we're here together today. And uh, one thing um, I'd like to ask you for a start is um, how did you read the exhibition space? I think this might be a very good introduction to uh, take a look at your show and yeah, how do you enter the space and what do you see? I actually really like the way that you phrase that question um, to read the space because I wasn't able to come to do a site visit prior to making the exhibition. So it actually was an instance of reading the floor plans um, and images. And so reading from videos, images and floor plans is mm, kind of a moment of translation, obviously. And I think there's a lot of things lost in translation when you're not physically in a space. But in that same instance, I think something that's good about it is there's also maybe kind of a abstraction of the space because it minimizes some detail that would be uh, noticeable when you're in the space physically. So you kind of can bluntly extrapolate things of interest. So I think the first thing that struck me was the four exterior corners in the first gallery right when you enter, which you can see, I think maybe even more so on the floor plan just because it's so even. Um, and there's these kind of alcoves where you both pass through the space, but the recesses that are not the entry exit of the space. So there are these kind of holding spaces, but the exterior corners is kind of like the very beginning of the show. So making the sculptures that respond to the space and reopen, make interior corners of the exterior corners. Um, and then beyond that, you were very helpful in helping me understand the space as a cycle or kind of like going through the space because you have to go exactly the way you came. You can't just exit out the back door. Um, so that was very of interest to me in terms of perspectives and how you view things because there's not just one opportunity to look at something but two. Um, but both viewings would be from a different perspective and a different angle. So just architecturally and experientially, even without being there, those are kind of like the beginning principles of the, the exhibition. One thing you also do is that working with perspective and thinking of perspective, um, you also have a lot, the body of the viewer in mind. How do you relate um, to the body of the viewer? And because um, I think a lot of visitors will kind of feel this, but, but might not be able to um, yeah, ex instantly express what they feel. I think a lot of the ways that I try to install work would be the way that I'm responding to that. It's kind of more so I think of the way that I look at things and I think I respond very bodily. So I'm thinking not just kind of like in my head and I think maybe it goes back to some sort of like Cartesian split between mind and body but I think a lot of people see 
in their head and they imagine and they don't feel it bodily very often. So I think any moment that you can kind of accentuate that, and for me it's like low-hanging things that aren't registering an eye height, like definitely no eye height, you know, very low. These kind of moments can kind of allow you to register at a lower scale or something, register with some other part of yourself than your eyes first, you know, and you feel yourself in the space. I'm sure that we'll get back to the body um, later on. For the moment, I'd like to switch uh, and change space. Your practice is very much about the studio and working in the studio. It's about being thrown back to yourself or to be alone in a room um, of one's own. How do you work in the studio? What do you do? It depends on the day, but I think it's a very changeable space and... Often it's kind of um, a large open space, bookshelves, shelves of objects that I use to make things. They're often put away. But when I'm making things, it becomes a tornado and everything's on the floor. And it's that way for weeks. And I can't, you know, it's thinking space that's left to kind of, mm, I don't know, ferment or something and grow and become dirtier and dirtier. It's an accumulation. But There's something that's also really important about the aspect of cleaning the studio. And it's like a funny, and I don't mean like sweeping. It's like actually putting these piles away or even if it is already clean, rearranging the things on the shelves and these kind of things help me see different forms in a new way. I don't know. It's like rearranging your house. You know, it's like the whole energy shifts in the way that you use the space, depending on if you put the table here Or here it might block this, but it actually opens something else, you know. So I think cleaning is, I don't know what other word to use for it, some sort of, you know, reorganization, thinking through objects and touching them. And, and these objects very often get depicted in your photographs. Talking about the photographs, how do you construct the space? You are a part of it and objects are but. How do you come to a conclusion of this kind of image space? I think like the final image is a moment of selection from a large amount of images uh, that have led to that image or are kind of surrounding that image. But it winds up being like a part of that tornado activity where everything's being pulled out. There's also usually an instance of creating some sort of kind of ad hoc provisional architecture to make photographs in, whether that's the simple thing of kind of putting paper over the floor to mask it and kind of could be a wall, could be a floor, it changes the space. But most often I am taking photographs almost aerially, if you will, like it's from my own perspective, but looking down and the picture plane is often the floor. So there might be a um, mirror on the floor. That's like an easy way that maybe it won't break. So then it's covered up and obscured and then interacting with that to make the space more complex and flattened. So there's almost no perspective in the image. So it's almost this a perspective. There's no horizon line most often. I think if it is reflected, then you wind up having like a, a doubling of space too in the mirrors, which is very interesting to me. So if it's on the floor, then you're looking at the ceiling at the same time. If you are looking at a wall, you're looking at two walls. When we start talking about this one image, perfect spectator perforation, what I find very intriguing is the way you cut out the camera. It's an image where you look down on yourself and then there, there are certain mirrors, it's ruptured and uh, very fractural the way it's kind of um, constructed. 
But at this very point where the viewer would expect the camera and your eyes to be seen and to kind of encounter them, there's actually nothing. There's a gap. Um, how did you come up with that solution? Is it on purpose to cut out the camera? There's very few things that I do in my photographs that are on purpose or intentionally in the beginning. It is often... Um, I never knew there's not there's got to be a word specifically for it but it's often about finding through making mm -hmm. so oftentimes if I'm taking photographs I might take an entire role in one sitting so that it's kind of this moment of readjusting multiple images so there I think there's maybe four or five instances of that image and it isn't you know it kind of looks one way and then you shift just five degrees more at an angle with your body and then the eye disappears and so it's this moment of like that's the image but i didn't know the image prior but you know capture capture and select later but i think it was just it's two mirrored cubes stacked on top of one another so they're set at a 90 degree angle so there's this slippage moment between the two frames where it's just enough to kind of I don't know, make the image skip and block the eye and the camera in a very strange way because it's actually not enough space, but it's just the angle and the space and then it's just gone. Talking about this, what you then do in the space, and that is even more intriguing, is that you introduce an eye at the back of the viewer because you have like uh, three photographs in a row and on the other side of the room you install um, a sculpture called Swan's Juliet and that's actually, you can look at it on many ways, but one thing is there's an eye. Tell us a little bit more about this sculpture and how you conceived it, how you placed it in the space and how it functions in the space. I think this image came, I mean the image, I think of the sculpture as an image when it's seen in, as an eye, which is a funny slip. But depending on how you look at it, it can become an eye or it's very phallic from the side. So you enter in and it actually looks very phallic. It's also hung rather, you know, navel height or low. So it could actually be more phallic height if you're a very tall person. But it's um, hard to see it as an eye. You have to kind of crouch down and be low. So it is maybe not as apparent that it's an eye when you're walking through the exhibition. But to me, even the bulb of the swan egg feels almost like a security mirror or something that kind of like a you know a 360 degree camera something that kind of shows you the entire space um, and it's pointed directly at the images so that no matter there's no way to not be in front of that sculpture while you're looking at the images that it's that are directly across from it on the opposite wall so i wanted it to be that kind of aggressive encounter of being watched while you're looking. So one um, kind of intermediate, let's put it that way, approach you have is also the moment that Etant Donné, this installation or sculpture by Duchamp, uh, was very important for you to develop the photographs you're showing here. Duchamp, of course, has established a built-in perspective which uh, works with desire of the gaze and voyeurism and kind of forces the viewer to commit this act of violence on the uh, woman. You turn this around in your photographs and I think that's a very crucial and extremely interesting moment. Maybe you could tell me a little bit more about your aim and how you approach this. I think it's an extension of my entire photographic process in which basically the camera I think allows you when you turn it on yourself directly viewed to 
share your own perspective with the viewer. And if you're also pairing that with a mirrored image of yourself, you know, as the photographer, then you have an image and your own personhood imaged in it. So I think even though every single person looking at the exhibition won't immediately identify, I think there's this perspective that suggests that you could occupy or share this perspective. And in this case, kind of this idea of thinking of something like Etan Donnet, where it is this kind of splayed woman, you know, who's like on view. And I think that was a little bit more of interest in terms of the actual installation of making people very aware of their looking. But in terms of the images themselves, I'm thinking a lot about capacities and, you know, roles of women and these kind of things. I think it's just around this age that people start thinking, you know, are you a mother? Are you not a mother? I get the question all the time. So it's like these capacities to make life, all of these kind of things. So there's these like bulbous, empty structures in there. But there's also things that are phallic in there. There's like all of these, like what what is the role of gender and sex in your person? It's all subtly in there, but you know, some not so subtly. Would you understand yourself as a feminist in this context? I mean, I think in every context. I fought it maybe as a young person, but... Not anymore. And uh, talking about sex and images of sex, when I look at the sculptures and your new series of works, which is made of glazed porcelain, of all different kind of materials which you integrate, they kind of resemble body parts, organs, innards, bones, but also a lot of body orifices, even though you can't really define them. It's just a kind of um, association, I think, that comes automatically. Some of them also have vulva-like shapes. Is So is female eroticism something you want to consciously address here? I think it's not just female, um, but I think the title of the exhibition hints at this mind, like mildly, um, thinking about The Elastic X was in reference to the physical space structure, but also thinking about like an X chromosome is the sex determinant as a baby, you know? So thinking about this idea of having some elasticity and gray area in terms of maybe everything being both. So all of the sculptural objects and the images have instances of things that maybe are just both. Like there are a lot of like, maybe there's a few anuses, there's a couple of, <laughs> there's a there's some things that are more uh, holding spaces, maybe more, you know, crevices and these kind of things. And then there's also things that protrude and are more, you know, the opposite. So then if it's in one, then it can kind of contain both in one. Another part, or at least I think of it as a part of the exhibition, even though it is external, um, is your artist book, which you have um, conceived. It's a series of Polaroids of assemblages, and I think these assemblages are very closely connected to the um, new sculpture series with the glazed porcelains. What's the idea behind it, or how did one lead to the other? I think the... The artist book was kind of made in 2021 entirely. Um, and even though it wasn't the, the slowness of 2020 pandemic, I think it still had a, a sense of slowness in the studio that I haven't felt before 
that I was able to kind of be in the studio in a different headspace than I've ever felt. And I wound up setting up these assemblages to take photographs of, which was not dissimilar from what I might normally do, but with the full intention of capturing the light at the end of the day to use the shadow that was naturally coming in that was very, very harsh. Because um, it was actually a year prior that I moved into a new studio that had a lot of windows, and it's the first time I've ever had that. So it was just something to react to. But using that light and the shift and kind of, it just accentuated different parts of my practice where it's maybe two images that, that are a shift, or sometimes it's 17 images of the same thing where it's kind of following the light as it moves around and shifting one little object so that it slowly becomes maybe the one that I would choose normally. But I think as a project and just thinking about it being analog but also immediate was very helpful in terms of just seeing the decision-making process um, and just kind of being able to adjust on the spot but not as fast as digital. So there was something satisfying about it that then they were kind of meant to be fixed in photography, which they were for the book. But then I think it just shifted the way that I was thinking about sculptures. And that led to these ceramics that are in this exhibition because I hadn't, I mean, maybe my, I don't know, two or three times I've made an assemblage where it was out into the world rather than depicted in a photograph. And I think it just reinvigorated an interest that maybe has always been there and exaggerated it and amplified it. Um, and I think there's something, I don't know, really special about using materials that aren't so fixed to me right now that is a new interest. They're not glued in, they're just stuffed in. They're movable and very, uh, I don't know, it helps you give up a control. Like if I'm not around them to install them, they'll look different. Like the body stuffings, you know, whatever is happening with the little sacks of material or balloons that are put into them will look different every single time. So it's kind of just a little adjustment in the world. To me, it really is a little bit less, there's a lot of breathing, a lot of air in this sculpture, which uh, I think goes together with the body aquifices um, very strongly. Um, what I also wanted to mention is the text you include in uh, the book, and maybe this doesn't become a question, but just a um, comment. It's a poem uh, by Rosemary Waltrop called Doing. When I read this title, I was instantly thinking of uh, whatever of um, Richard's list, famous verb list from um, 67, where he compiled a series of what he called um, actions to relate to oneself, material, place and process. And when you look at Sarah's list, it's all very active. He's kind of really doing a lot. Whereas the text uh, by Rosemary Waltrop is just very, it's kind of describing a different state. And maybe I should just read out part of it. She starts, I often don't know what to do or if I want to. Uh, dawn has long broken while I still drag my feet in the mud inside my head. Hope for coffee. Make a Billy Fed moan to prepare the plunge into action or not. I think she's really describing very nicely the kind of studio situation um, you probably start with as an artist. This is my uh, association, but yeah, maybe you just like continue what your um, intake or to this text is. I mean, I think Rosemary Waldrop has been the most important poet to me 
as I've made work in the last maybe five years since I discovered her. Um, a lot of her work has wound up being cannibalized into titles or these kind of things pulled out of their, you know, wonderfully crafted context. <laughs> but um, this poem in particular just felt, I think this is from her most recent book, and it's mostly actually about like aging and, you know, these kind of things. So it's like not necessarily meant to fit this interest, but I think it does have a lot to do with, I don't know, the tenor that I was feeling, which is a little bit of indecision. And, you know, I don't know, sometimes productivity is very questionable, but it's, I think it is what you just do something. And I think that that's maybe what instigated this. And I don't think there's, there's any less value in that just kind of meandering around the studio, you know, and moving things around. So after you've said this, I have one last question for you. What's next? What are you working on after this show? And uh, what's kind of, uh, yeah, concerning is after this big achievement you've <laughs> given to us? <laughs> I'm like, I'm at the top of the mountain now. Um, I am going right after this to install another set of exhibitions at Harvard University at the Carpenter Center. So that will be the next thing that is immediate. Um, and after that, then I get back to the studio and work more slowly again, <laughs> I think. <laughs> But maybe take a good break before that. Hopefully there will be many more times when you kind of uh, enter the surface uh, or the visibility outside of your studio, because uh, that's really what I am looking for, <laughs> but too. Um, and thank you so much, Ingrid for this talk. Thank It's you, been Great, thanks. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.